It's good to see you. My name's Scott. If we haven't met before, I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to say thank you for joining us today for worship, whether you're here in person or you're joining us online. I want to say thanks for being with us today. For the past several weeks, we've been doing a study on the topic of forgiveness, which is an important topic for us to talk about because I don't know if you've noticed this or not yet, but uh, life gives us plenty of opportunities to practice forgiveness, doesn't it? And it goes both ways, doesn't it, too? We uh, give other people plenty of opportunities to practice forgiveness um, with us, and other people give us plenty of opportunities to practice forgiveness towards them. So it's an important thing for us to understand because the question is not, will I ever need to practice forgiveness? The question is, how well will I practice forgiveness when the need arises? Which is why we look to God's word for direction and guidance on this very, very important subject and topic. Today we're going to be looking at a passage found in Luke chapter 17. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 17. If you didn't bring a Bible, don't worry. Hopefully you got that half sheet on your way in here. It's printed for you and we'll take a look at it together. But before we take a look at this passage... I do want to just talk a little bit about some of the misconceptions that can come um, into our lives when it comes to this subject of forgiveness. One of the things that I've enjoyed doing over the course of time that I've been here is that I've enjoyed meeting together with the teaching pastors at South Hills Church. And we've been meeting on a weekly basis, and part of that time we've been meeting to talk about the current study that we're going through, and we've been talking about our, our, our future teaching series that we're going to be going through. And this last week in the conversation about forgiveness, one of the teaching pastors talked about how so much of our understanding when it comes to dealing with conflict and dealing with forgiveness is shaped by our upbringing. So much of our understandings as well as our misunderstandings are, come from our family and our personal experiences and what we have growing up. And that's true, isn't it? That so much of our understanding and misunderstandings have been things that have been taught to us or modeled for us in our families. And many of those things have an element of truth to them, but they also have some flaws in them as well. And so what I want to do is just talk about some of those misconceptions so that when we look to God's Word, we can say, God, will you help replace those, those flawed ways of thinking with your truth? But first, let me just say this. How many firstborns are here in the room today? How many firstborns are here. Okay, so it's all your fault. That's what it is. <laughs> just joking. Not really. No, just joking. Um, but let me pick on the firstborns here just for a moment, okay? Let's picture a scenario where an older sibling picks a fight with a younger sibling, okay? Hard to imagine, I know. But let's just picture this, this happening. Older sibling picking on a younger sibling. Now, in the course of doing this, they make the fatal error of doing it in close proximity to the, the adults who live in the home, right? So this is a you know, mistake number one. And inevitably, if the adults hear that there's a fight or an argument going on, they at some point will intervene, pull the two kids apart, and they give you a script. Do you remember that script that they would give you? Let's talk about it. What did mom say in this scenario? Let's talk about it for a moment. Mom said to say, I'm sorry. Mom said to say, I'm sorry. So mom takes the older sibling who started the fight. Who knows what else happened in between? Of course, younger siblings would never, ever instigate anything. But they pull the older, the older, uh, older sibling and they say, 
what do you need to say to your little brother? And the answer is, I'm sorry. With that kind of heartfelt emotion that comes with it. And of course, what they're really saying is, I'm sorry I got caught, and I just need to say this so that I can get out of the situation. You know what I'm talking about? And so this is why it's important for us to recognize this, that forgiveness is not words. Forgiveness is not just words. You can say you're sorry, but it can mean very little if it doesn't come from a sincere heart and any kind of changed attitude or action. So, but, but here's the other side of it. Words can be very powerful. And you know that to be true as well. If someone with sincere heart um, with, with honestly says to you, hey, I am so sorry that I hurt you. Will you please forgive me? It means a whole lot. If someone says, hey, I've been thinking about it, and the way that I responded to you earlier today was way out of line. Will you please, will, will you just, I'm so sorry, will you please forgive me? That goes a long way. So words are very powerful, but forgiveness is not just words empty of any of those other aspects of forgiveness. And so it's important to say that. But now mom had help though. And what did dad say? Dad said to say, it doesn't matter. In that scenario, mom took the older sibling aside and says, what do you need to say? Older sibling says, I'm sorry. Now, dad then looks to the younger sibling and to the younger sibling says, what do you need to say back? And the, the answer is, it doesn't matter. It's no big deal, right? That's the response. Now, of course, do they really mean that? That it doesn't matter? No, they don't mean it. They're saying it just as much as the, other old, the older sibling because they want to get out of the scenario. And they also know if they don't say that, then they might get pounded later by the older brother because so, they got him in trouble. So this is what's going on. So here's the deal. It doesn't matter. The, the flaw with this thinking is this, that forgiveness is not denial. That it doesn't matter, doesn't work. And many people, unfortunately, find themselves in a position where they think that uh, forgiveness is denial. That it doesn't really matter, that it's no big deal, that I just have to deny it. And that's not the case. When someone wounds you, when someone hurts you, there's real damage, there's real loss of trust, there's real hurt, and denying it doesn't make it go away. It's like having an open wound somewhere on your body and just saying, I'll just deny it and assuming it'll just get better and take care of itself. That's not the case. So denial doesn't work. Now, there's not just what dad says, but it's also what grandpa says. Grandpa said to say, what does grandpa say? Or did I get it right? Yeah. Grandpa said, uh, what do you expect? What do you expect? Now, this is, of course, the real compassionate side (laughs) of, of, of things. And in this scenario, uh, the, the grandpa, you know, says, what do you expect? So your, your spouse left you, you lost your job, your best friend betrayed you. Grandpa says, well, what do you expect? That's just what people do. And in a certain sense, grandpa is correct in that, yes, there is this fallen aspect of humanity And the Bible speaks to that as our sin. We all fall into that category, and we hurt and damage other people. We fall under under that. But the Bible also teaches about personal responsibility, that we are accountable for our actions and for our attitudes and how we treat other people. So um, the flaw in this one is this, that forgiveness is fatalism. That is, this is just the way the world is. It's just how people are. So we just don't deal with forgiveness because that's just how it goes. Everybody is going to shaft everybody else at some point. Just get used to it. Live life. 
And that doesn't really deal with the heart of forgiveness either and understanding the need for restoration and healing and what God calls us to, but it is an orientation that can, that can fall into our way of thinking. Now, grandma on the other end is at the, kind of on the other side of things. Grandma said uh, to say just what? Forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. And this is kind of the anti-grandpa. This is the other side of things. And of course, grandma's just wanting to help, saying, oh, honey, just, it's okay. You just need to forgive and forget. And it sounds really nice, but it doesn't really work either because forgiveness is not amnesia. Forgiveness is not amnesia. If we could forget, we wouldn't need to forgive. But because we can't forget, we need to then address and deal with forgiveness. It would be great if we, couldn't, if we just didn't remember all the things and the wounds that we've sustained and the hurts that we have, but we can't. And so it's not just forgetting those things. We need to address them, and that's why um, it's, a, it's a challenge for us. Then the, the next one is this. If, if no one else is there to speak, others will say this, you know, verse, this famous verse that's nowhere found in the Bible, what goes around comes around. What goes around comes around. Perhaps you've heard that before, where people with the, the idea on this one is that someone says, okay, well, listen, yeah, that person hurt you, but don't worry. Don't worry because what goes around comes around. That is, they're going to get theirs. And it's just this idea of it's going to come back. It's karma. It's instant. You know, they're going to get theirs. This is the idea. What goes around comes around. And the, the, the flaw of this thinking is this, that forgiveness is not vengeance. Forgiveness is not vengeance. And that's important um, to understand because it may very well be the case that God does deal with the person who's wronged you because the Bible does teach about a just God, that God is a God of justice. But it does not teach that he's a God of immediate justice. And this is important for us to understand because we can be waiting around for God to get them. And we're just sitting there, we're watching, we're waiting. Okay, God, when are you going to, you know, what goes around comes around. When is it going to happen? And we're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And while we're waiting, we're drinking battery acid. You know, we're just, our bitterness, our, our rage, our anger, we're just drinking this. And we're wondering why we feel sick. It's because we're being you know, it's we're corroding from the inside out because we're just drinking more and more bitterness, waiting for God to get them, waiting for vengeance. And this is not helpful. We get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we, when we find ourselves in this position. So then, then if no one else uh, is there, then are always our fallen nature is there to say, you shouldn't forgive. You shouldn't forgive. And our fallen nature is, is, is fascinating, right? Because we, you've all been there before where, you know, someone's wronged you, and internally you just say, I'm not going to forgive them. I mean, that's, they've, they've hurt me, they've wounded me, I shouldn't forgive. And the fallen nature starts telling us other alternatives to forgiveness, like they need to, we need to get even with them. And that's what our fallen nature does. It, it, it teaches us a different way of doing it. And I know that if you've been a follower of Christ, you're a Christian, you know that in the Bible it teaches you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. So you're thinking, you're saying to yourself, yeah, God, vengeance is with God. But maybe he wants a little help. And if he was just to ask, I've got some pretty good ideas for this. I mean, I've got some really good ways of, of teaching them a lesson and really sticking it to them. And so our fallen nature can get us trapped 
in the same spot. We never deal with forgiveness because we are thinking of all the other alternatives other than forgiveness, and we find ourselves shackled and chained and, and you know, carrying around this anchor of unforgiveness and bitterness and grudge holding. And this is why forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness is not easy. And I don't want to minimize that. I don't want to dismiss the fact that forgiveness is a real challenge. But if we don't face the need for forgiveness personally in our lives and the need to forgive others, again, like I said, we become trapped. We are holding, uh, being held by chains in our life. And it can be very, very damaging, and it can keep us from moving forward. Therefore, we need to look to God's Word for guidance on what it looks like to forgive and to replace the flawed ways of thinking with God's truth so that we can forgive and in a way that honors God and helps us move forward in freedom. So that's why we're going to look at Luke chapter 17 today. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to open to Luke 17. We're going to start with verse 1. And what I'd like to do is read the passage in its entirety, and then we'll come back and we'll look at it verse by verse. So let me read it for you so you can hear um, the, 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 the context and the, the content of this passage. Verse 1, it says this, Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along and now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Okay, now, looking back at verse 1, Jesus says this. Jesus said to the disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. So Jesus, just to give a little bit of context, the previous chapters has been telling stories, um, and he's really been telling stories uh, against the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders who used religion, unfortunately, to beat people down. And it was very offensive to God. And so Jesus was constantly telling stories that were kind of putting them back into their place and, and really uh, giving God's truth and a whole different orientation, orientation a kingdom uh, orientation that's coming from Jesus. And the disciples loved it. Every single time Jesus would tell a story, it was like he was launching a torpedo right under the water line. And it would just, and it would just hit. And they'd be like, ooh, yeah, Jesus, you got him. You know what I mean? He would do it again, you just write down, and he was just, just nail, he was nailing them, and he was putting them in their place. And the disciples are like, "This is great." And then here now in verse chapter seventeen, Jesus turns to the disciples and he starts to teach, and he's speaking against the um, the uh, the the Pharisees, 
But he says two truths here that I want you to see. He says, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. That is, there are things in life that are just bound to come that are challenges. But then he says, but woe to anyone through whom they come. This is where he's speaking against the Pharisees. The Pharisees were putting a burden on people who were trying to turn to God. They were putting a burden. Well, what kind of burden were they putting on the people? They were saying, well, here's all the religious laws and here's all the religious rituals that you need to do perfectly in order for God to approve of you. In order to be right with God, there's this long list of things and it was just this big burden of like law after law after law and they were just feeling weighted, weighted down and their spiritual life was sapped of joy and they were just burdened by the, the, um, this non-grace approach to what we have to do to earn God's favor. And it was burdening them. And Jesus is saying, listen, woe to that person, those who, through whom these burdens and these challenges come. They're causing others to stumble on their way to me. How offended is is Jesus of this this kind of thing? In verse 2, he tells us, he says this, it would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. Jesus takes this seriously. If we're keeping people from coming to him, if we're burdening them with things that are other than the gospel in terms of trying to earn your way to God or to be burdened on your way to God, he takes it seriously. And he talks about taking a millstone, that is a rock, putting around their neck, throwing him in the sea. And from a Hebrew perspective, this is the worst possible death. The Hebrew people, for for them, the worst possible death was drowning in the sea. And so Jesus goes there. He says, this is, it would be better for them than to cause those to stumble who are trying to come to me. So this is what he's saying. And he's really putting the Pharisees in their place. And the disciples are like, yes, we agree with you, Jesus. Yes, we agree with you. And then in verse 3, there's a twist that I, you can't miss. In verse 3, he says, so watch yourselves. Now, this would have been stunning for the disciples Because the whole time they're with Jesus, they've been watching him tell their stories against the Pharisees and put them in their place. And now he's saying, yeah, woe to them. And it'd be better if they had a stone wrapped around their head and neck and thrown in the the sea. They're like, whoa, wow. And then all of a sudden he says, so watch yourselves. What they're expecting Jesus to say is the Pharisees better watch themselves. Those religious leaders who do that kind of thing better watch themselves. And they'd be high-fiving each other and like, yeah, But Jesus turns and says, you watch yourselves. Why does he turn to the disciples and say, you watch yourselves? Because he understands something about them that's true of us as well, that we like to picture ourselves on the side of Jesus and not on the other side of things, don't we? We picture ourselves when Jesus is, is, is around that mob and saying, you know, he who, who is without sin cast the first stone. And we, we picture ourselves with Jesus over there. It, and, and when the reality is we are holding two stones, trying to high-five each other, going, whoa, wait, wait, yes, forgot about that part. This is where the disciples find themselves. They are more aligned in some ways with the people they despise. And so Jesus is trying to point out, you can be, you're, you're there. You can easily fall into that same spot And here's the point, if you don't forgive. See, the Pharisees were holding a burden over people in terms of coming to God. And it was a a burden that they cannot carry. Jesus, in fact, said the Pharisees put a burden on others that they themselves do not carry. 
And in the same way, when we don't forgive, we're putting a burden. That is a debt over someone else's head that we ourselves have been freed from in our relationship with God. But we're holding over them a burden that we're not letting go of. And so Jesus is saying, watch yourselves. If you don't forgive, if you don't deal with your own bitterness, your own grudge holding, you will become like the very people you despise. And if that doesn't scare you into forgiveness, I don't know what will. And Jesus is saying, so watch yourselves. And then he launches into this this, uh, teaching on forgiveness. Look what he says. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And I'll stop right there. And if they repent, forgive them. But we'll stop right here. If we just stopped right here and took Jesus' teaching this far, it would help so much of our relationships. Because what's Jesus saying? He's saying someone's wronged you, someone's hurt you, what are you supposed to do with it? You're supposed to go to them. You're to rebuke them. Now, what do we do? We go internal and we get bitter and angry. We don't go to them. We just let it fester and grow and boil in our own soul. Or instead of going to them, what we do is we go to other people and we say, can you believe what they did to me? I mean, what a jerk. Can you, can you believe? Can you imagine what they said? I mean, they are so terrible. And we start going to other people rather than the person who's wronged us. And so if we just stopped right here and said, okay, we're going to do what Jesus has told us to do, we would, we would help so many of our conflicts and our challenges in our life. So he says, go to the person who has wronged you. And it says rebuke them. And I know that many of you are saying, yes, I like that part. This is where I get to blast them in Jesus' name, Right? No. Let me talk about what rebuke means. Rebuke, the word rebuke means to challenge. And, and this isn't important because in the Greek, the Greek word for this uh, word rebuke is, the Greek word is ep, uh, epitomao. And epitomao does mean to challenge, but it comes from the root word tomao, which means um, to honor, to speak with honor. So yes, you challenge, but you're to do it honorably to speak with honor. It helps with that orientation. And this is why this is so helpful. When you go to someone and you challenge them because they've wronged you, to speak with honor means that you don't attack the person, but that you address the problem. And there's a difference. When you say, you are such a jerk, I cannot believe you did this to me. You've attacked the person and you're you're not really helping them with the problem. But there's a difference when you say, hey, I just need to be honest with you. When you said this the other day uh, to me, it, it hurt, and I need you to understand. There's a difference there. So Jesus is saying we rebuke them, that is, we go directly to them, but when we rebuke them, we honor them, and we attack the, the we go after the, the problem and not the person. But then there's a second step. It says, and if they repent, you forgive them, which is the second step, that we forgive and that we forgive um, them for what they have done. Now, he says, and if they repent, that is, if they've turned towards you. And this is, Jesus is talking about the ideal scenario. This doesn't always happen this way. Sometimes we have to forgive even if they don't turn and seek repent and repent. But Jesus is saying, here's the, here's, here's the ideal scenario. They turn to you and they're seeking forgiveness. You're to forgive them. What does forgiveness mean? We've already talked about this a few weeks ago. Forgiveness means canceling, recognizing the debt and canceling it. And then releasing the, the right to, 
put that charge back up into their face later on. So we cancel the debt and we release the right to bring that charge up against them. This is what forgiveness means. And this is what he's saying he's calling us to do. If they come to you, you forgive them. And this is, this is a helpful idea because when we don't forgive someone else, what we're doing is we're, we're shackling them. We don't want to, we have that, they, they owe you something. There's a debt that they, they you, you feel like, hey, they, they still owe you. And so what you do is instead of forgiving them, you shackle them. But what we don't realize is that chain ties back and shackles us. We're shackled to that. So what we end up doing is dragging along this person that we've chained up that we're not going to let go. We're holding their debt over their head, and we end up dragging them along because we're chained to them. And forgiveness is part of freeing not only for them, but freeing us. And this is what Jesus is wanting us to understand, that it's good for them, but it's also good for us. When we forgive, we're freeing, we're, we're freeing ourselves from being chained as well. But then after this, Jesus goes on in verse 4, he says this, and if they've sinned against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. So Jesus ups the, ups the deal. He doesn't just say, okay, you forgive them once, but he says you forgive them over and over and over again. And I want to be clear about what Jesus means here by also speaking to what he doesn't mean. Jesus does not mean that in our relationships we don't apply wisdom when it comes to forgiveness. He does not mean that you allow yourself to be a victim over and over and over again. If someone steals from you, forgive them, but hold on to your wallet. Do you get, get what I'm saying there? There's still wisdom that you apply even as you are choosing to forgive others. And Jesus is saying we approach people with an orientation of forgiveness. And Jesus models that. He was very wary of the Pharisees, but we know all the way up to the very end, when he was on the cross, he prayed for them. That Jesus had a posture of forgiveness and was willing to forgive others, even when he had wisdom and was cautious at the same time. And so this is what he's saying now as the, the, the disciples are hearing this, they're going, whoa, this is just too much. Seven times if they come back here to forgive them. Listen to their response in verse 5. It says this, The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. Increase our faith. They're overwhelmed by this. They're thinking to themselves, This is just too much. God, you're asking us to do something that's, that's miracle territory to give this much, right? So they're saying increase our faith which is like, God, we, we can't, you, only you can't. Gotta, you got to help us with the spiritual side of this because this is only something that's, that uh, could be done through a miracle in our lives. And it helps us understand the disciples aren't all that different from us, that they get overwhelmed by forgiveness just like we do, that they aren't super Christians, that they have real flaws and real struggles, and this overwhelms them too, this concept of forgiveness. In fact, when you think about the disciples who were standing next to Jesus on that day, I mean, you, you have Peter. Do you think he ever got in fights and conflicts and needed to forgive? Who's he standing next to? He's standing next to the Zebedee brothers. Did they ever have fights? You bet they did. And I can picture Peter saying to James and John, well, you need to say sorry first, and then I'll forgive you. And then James and John saying to Peter, well, no, you have to say sorry first, and then we'll forgive you. 
And then you picture Matthew, the tax collector, the accountant, and he's doing the math. He's saying, okay, seven times a day, seven days in a week, that's 49 (laughs) forgivenesses. And he's just like, I'm overwhelmed. This is just too much. He starts doing the math. It's too big. And then you have Thomas. He's saying, I doubt all this will any work in any way, right? He's just saying, I doubt any of this is possible. So again, it puts them in human terms. We recognize they're saying the very same thing that we're saying, that forgiveness is not easy. God, this is miracle territory. Increase our faith. Now listen to Jesus' response in the following verse. He says, he replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. So he says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, which is very small, you can say to the mulberry tree, which is very big, move, it'll be uprooted and fall in and go into the sea and it will obey you. So he's, he's giving this, this picture, this concept. And Jesus' response to the disciples is not, you need more faith. He's saying you need to activate, to activate the little faith that you have. And this is important for us to hear. It's not that we need more faith. It's that even if we have mustard seed faith, when we activate it, that is, we have a living faith, it can grow. And God can do what God does, which is a God work, and move big things in our hearts and in the hearts of others. We just have to respond with the little bit of faith that we have. It's not that we need more. We need to act on the faith that we have. But the challenge for us is we see the big picture and we're overwhelmed by it. And we're saying it's impossible. I don't have enough faith. I don't know how it could ever happen. When I was growing up, I remember the first time as a kid that I encountered uh, guacamole. Bear with me here for a moment, okay? And maybe for you, there's moments in your life growing up as a kid where you remember seeing something and you're like, what, what the heck is this? And I just remember the first time I laid eyes on guacamole um, and it, it scared me. I'll just say that, okay? <laughs> now, when you're a kid growing up, anything green is suspect already. Right. Amen. <laughs> yes, amen. You're still that way, okay. Okay. Um, but I remember my mom made some homemade guacamole, and my dad was very excited about it, and we're, they were talking about guacamole, and some my brothers and I are like, oh, cool, guacamole, this is going to be great. That is until we saw guacamole. And I remember my mom, this bowl of guacamole, she has this big serving spoon, she just scoops it up, and it's this giant mound of green mushy poo <laughs> with chunks of tomatoes in it which does not help at all. She goes over to our plates and it's just like, stuck. I'm like, no way am I eating guacamole. This is, this looks horrific. What did my parents say to me? Just try a little bite. Just try a little bite. bite. Now, that took some real convincing for me to try a little bite. But they knew something, didn't they? You take a little bite, you might actually grow to like it. Now, it took me some time. I'll be honest. But I love guacamole now. If I had walked away and said, there's no way, it's overwhelming. I'm not going to do it. 
I would never be able to experience how wonderful guacamole is. Some of you are like, it's not that wonderful, but really, truly it is. Here's the deal. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, I know it's big. I know it's overwhelming. You just need mustard seed faith. You just need to activate the little bit of faith that you have and a, a, an active faith that's alive will grow. And God could do what only God does. And he can change hearts. He can change lives. He can transform when we're overwhelmed by how massive and difficult and hard a situation is. I remember reading a book by Charles Stanley. He wrote a book on forgiveness. And in the book, he talks about his difficult relationship with his stepfather. His stepfather was um, horribly abusive, both uh, verbally and physically, and not only to Charles, but to his mom, which was also very difficult for him. He talks about how painful it was for him growing up, the anger, the resentment, the bitterness, the unforgiveness that stems from his childhood and how difficult it was. There was it got to a point at, at, at some point uh, for him where it was so bad in his home that he would go into his bedroom, lock the door, and he would have a loaded gun next to his bed because he did not know what to expect. He eventually um, moved out of the home and, and, and went out in, in more in independent living and Yet he still had a, so much rage and anger and bitterness towards his stepfather. And as he continued to live his life, all of that unresolved um, anger and frustration, that unforgiveness started to leak out into his life, into other arenas of his life, into his relationships. And over time, he just knew God was calling him to forgive his stepdad. But it was just too overwhelming for him to consider this concept of confronting and forgiving his stepdad. But God continued to work in his heart and work into his life, and he continued to see the, the struggle that he was having because of this past hurt that was unresolved. And so because, again, he was so overwhelmed, he talks about in his book what he does, what he did was he, he went into his bedroom and he brought with him a chair. And he put the chair in front of his bed and he sat down on the bed and he faced that chair. The chair was empty, but he pictured his stepfather on that chair. And in that private room, he began to list out all of the ways that his stepfather had wronged him, all of the hurts that he had sustained, all of the things that he needed to forgive his stepfather for. He listed out the time that his stepfather slapped him at the dinner table the time that his stepfather choked out his mom, the verbal berating that he received over and over when he would come home from school. The list was long. He just kept going through it. And at the end of listing all of the different ways he was hurt and wronged and damaged, he forgave his stepdad. He canceled the debt. And it was in that moment in this private room with an empty chair that God began to do a work of forgiveness in his life. And it triggered a, a, a launching point, a, a process of forgiveness and healing in Charles Stanley's life. He couldn't do it face to faith, face. So he started small with his little step of faith to say, God, I know you're calling me to do it. I can't do that yet, but I'll start here. 
And it started a process of healing in his life. And it ultimately got to a point where he was able to come face to face with his stepdad and to forgive him. But here's the amazing thing. When Charles Stanley got in front of his stepdad, he asked for forgiveness first. He, he asked his stepfather to forgive him for all of the ways that he had responded poorly to him over the years. And then said, I also forgive you. See, God did a great work in his life and got to a point where he was able to confront and bring healing in his life because he stepped with a little bit of faith that he had and God did something great. Now, it may not mean that as we step forward in faith and that process of forgiveness begins to take place in our life, that we will have a storybook ending. That was not the case for Charles Stanley. At that point, his, his stepfather did not ask for forgiveness. His stepfather and him did not have the perfect relationship, but Charles Stanley had forgiven him. And he was able to walk away with newfound freedom in his life. See, forgiveness is good for others, but it's also good for us. And Charles Stanley experienced the freedom because he stepped forward with this small mustard seed faith. This is what God is calling us to do as well. Then, verse 7 at this point, Jesus goes into another story. I'm going to read it, and then we'll talk about it briefly, what, what, he's, what the point he's trying to make here. In verse 7, it says this, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourselves ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say we are unworthy servants and have only done our duty. Now, you're looking at this going, where does this fit in with forgiveness? How does this tie? And let me just help you understand it. First of all, let me say this. When he's talking about a servant, um, he's talking, just picture an employee, okay? And the master is, is the, the employer. So, so this is the business relationship that he's, he's working for this man. And the idea is this, that the employee has worked part of his shift. And after working part of the shift, does the employee then come to the employer and say, hey, I'm expecting you to just now wait on me. Or should the employee at that point continue the shift and continue to, the, to do the ex, what was expected from them. So if you're, a, if you're a boss, if someone comes and works half a day, they, you, they don't say, well, I'm done for the day. I'm pretty good. No, you're saying, no, I hired you for a full day's work. That's your full duty. This is the expectation. You complete the job. And so this is what Jesus is saying. See, the servant doesn't get partial duties. He needs to do all of his duties. And you don't thank him for saying, oh, great, you did halfway. Good way to go. Stop there. No, he'll thank him at the end when he's done, them, done it all. And the point of what he's saying is this. When it comes to forgiveness, we can fool ourselves into thinking that as a Christian, as we're following God, okay, God, I, if I'm doing all of these other Christian duties for you, that is, I'm going to church regularly, I sing the songs, I serve in some ministry, I give to the church, then don't I get a pass on the rest of the, of the duties that you're calling me to, which include forgiveness? No, you don't get a pass. Jesus doesn't say, hey, well done, good enough. No, in fact, Jesus is saying, no, no, you fulfill all of your duties as a follower of me, which means you forgive. 
See, all of us lost the right to not forgive other people at the foot of the cross. When we receive the forgiveness that God has given to us through Jesus Christ, we lost our right to not forgive other people. And to be faithful to a God who has forgiven us means we forgive others. What we've received, we then give. This is what this, this last part of the passage is, is helping us see now. Let me give you a couple of principles before we go. How we get it right. The first one is this. From the passage, we, we rec- need to recognize that we need to decide to look in before looking out. We need to look in before looking out. That is, as you're listening to, to this message or this passage on forgiveness, instead of nudging the person next to you, hoping that they get this and figure it out, that you stop and say, no, 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 God wants to speak to me. God wants me to respond. See, the disciples were like, yeah, the Pharisees, yeah, they, need, they really need to hear this stuff. But Jesus says, watch yourself. And I think for all of us, we need to say, okay, God, where do I need to do the work of forgiveness so that I don't end up looking like the very people that I resent. We look in before looking out. Secondly, we decide to address people personally and honorably. Jesus says someone wrongs you, you go to them. You address them personally, not to the people around you, not internally, but you go to them personally. And then it says you do it honorably. You don't attack the person, but you address the problem. You challenge the problem. This is what he's saying here. Then third, decide to forgive quickly. Decide to forgive quickly. So if they repent, you forgive them. But even if they don't repent, forgive them. Why do we need to do it quickly? So that we're not end up um, nursing bitterness and anger and unforgiveness, and it damages us and damages our relationship. So we do it quickly. And then fourth, we are also to decide to forgive repeatedly. Jesus says it's not just a one-time thing, but if they do it again, you cancel that person. No, he's saying if they come to you again, you continue to forgive with wisdom, of course, in our practice of forgiveness, but we're to give it regularly and, and continually. Verse five, uh, sorry, point five, decide to forgive with the faith that you have. I know that each and every one of us have people in our life. This is challenging. This is hard. We say, God, Give me the mustard seed faith. Help me to activate that simple, the little bit of faith that I have and ask you to do the work that you need to do and trust him with that. And then point six, decide to forgive in faithfulness to a forgiving God. Decide to forgive in faithfulness to a forgiving God. God is calling us to forgive. And here's the thing. When we forgive, we're doing the will of God. It is God's will for us to forgive. And if God is calling us to do his will, he's also going to empower us to do his will. He'll give us the strength we need, the empowerment we need to do what he is calling us to do. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Corey Ten Boom. Her and her family uh, protected Jews during the Holocaust from the Nazis during World War II. And they were protecting, hiding the Jewish, Jewish people in their home. And because they were in this, this kind of secret, secretly hiding people um, from the Nazis, Corey was constantly anxious and worried, as anyone would. Well, what happens if the Nazis find out? What happens if the Nazis come and we aren't prepared? What happens if they come and we, 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 get, they, we get questioned And so she came to her dad with these concerns, these anxieties that are all legitimate. What are we going to do if these things play out? And her father said to Corey, 
He said, Corey, when I put you on the train to go visit your aunt in Amsterdam, when do I give you the ticket? And she said, right before I get on the train. And he said, in the same way, God will supply our need when he calls us to obey him. He will meet us. He will give us exactly what we need when we need it as we trust and obey him. Isn't that good news? Let's take a moment and let's come to him and ask him to supply what we need as we forgive others. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful that you're a God of grace and mercy, that you have forgiven us fully and completely. And God, you have called us to forgive others. It is in your will for us to forgive. So we ask, not just for your saving grace, but for your empowering grace, that we might be able to forgive others as you empower us, as you give us your strength to activate even the tiniest of faith, to trust you in taking a step that you're a God who is faithful, a God who is powerful, and a God who can transform us and can transform others. We thank you, Lord, for who you are and for your amazing grace. In your name, amen.